everybody and welcome back to season five of sequelizers i am your host jack chambers as always and joining me the john taggart to my axel foley oh matthew stockton dude 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 <laughs> oh god really matthew that's all i'm that's all i'm doing i knew i knew you'd come with something shit <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I have a load of lines. You are the worst for these little um, intro things. I was going to try and do the way that uh, Serge, or whatever his name is, pronounces Axel. Like, Serge. How does he pronounce Axel? Aquel. Aquel. Aquel Foley. I was yeah. going to, but I thought, nah. My weapons. Yeah, that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> no. Tim, feel free to do that if you want to, but no. No, so hello, everybody. And completing the trio, the Billy Rosewood to my Axel Foley and Matt's John Taggart. Tim Matum, how are you, sir? My name is Judge. That's my Judge Reinhold impression. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Us as Bill and Taggart actually works really well. Yeah. <laughs> he was Axel, I'm not sure about. Who else would you say? Ronnie like, Cox. I guess so, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's not, it's not a deep bench in the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be the, the Jonathan Banks character called Zach from Beverly Hills Cop 1. I remember watching that and I was like, huh, that guy looks like, a, that kind of sounds like Jonathan Banks. That's weird. <laughs> oh, this is 35 years ago. It is Jonathan <laughs> Banks. Holy shit. And um, there was there's one of the guys in, I think it's two, in the strip bar. I was like, that looks like a young Hugh Jackman. Oh my God. It's totally not Hugh Jackman. <laughs> From a distance. For a second, shit, Hugh Jackman. Says, I realise that. <laughs> exactly what I thought. I was like, well, Jonathan Banks is in the last one. <laughs> it's Holy shit, Hugh Jackman's going to be in this one. And uh, if you haven't already guessed, we're fixing <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> fixing the Wolverine. Three. <laughs> and, and featuring Wolverine. Yeah. I, su- I assume that's our fix for this week, is we're just adding Hugh Jackman in various places to Consider adding Wolverine a, yeah. in things. It's, it's like when um, uh, Richard Herring says, you can fix a movie by adding a Shrek. He's wrong. Yeah. But um, we can fix a movie by how we considered adding a Wolverine. <laughs> and then Tim always jumps in saying, played by Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're gonna we're gonna add a Hugh Jackman character, but it's gonna be his character from Baz Luhrmann's Australia. Oh, nice. Yeah, that could, that He's could okay, be... actually. It's, it's Nicole Kidman <laughs> that's the problem with that film. But we'll move on. Speaking of problems with films, the Beverly Hills Cop trilogy is a thing. And if you is... didn't hear, Beverly Hills Cop three is three is the one we're fixing. And which we need to talk about. We need to yeah, this. yeah. Why do you think that's such a talking point, Matt? Because people want us to do Beverly Hills Cop two. I imagine. Yeah. I don't like the second one very mm. much, but it doesn't have anywhere near as many of the, the fundamental problems as the third one. I think the third one is such a drastic veering off the course of the, the previous two. Because mm. in, the, in the show notes, I made a little note as I was watching it, like I compared it to the Evil Dead trilogy in that the first and the second one are basically the same like plot-wise and a kind of like a little bit of a remake and a recourse, like restructuring mm-hmm. of the first film into the second one. And then the third one is something completely different again. And Beverly Hills Cop feels like that. The, the first one, I really enjoyed the first one. Mm-hmm. I hadn't watched any of them and I binge watched all three in one session. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop is a fun film. It, well, a very 80s 
film. Yeah. Mm. And very much a good vehicle for Eddie Murphy. Did well, and you can see why it did well. It also lampoons the whole Beverly Hills scene and the difference between a run-down city like Detroit, which is just, at that time, was mm. like New York and Detroit, for example, and arguably Chicago, were known for being crime-ridden cities. And then you had the glamour of Hollywood, sort of, and especially Beverly Hills neighborhood specifically, being mm. where all the wealth was. And that's where a lot of the parallels seem to come from, the idea of the, the wealth divide of America, which makes why it's still quite a relatable film. Yeah, they make the joke in three where they try and describe uh, Bridget Nielsen's character. It's like, well, she's like a six foot scary blonde. He's like, ah, they're a dime a dozen in two. She in, oh yeah, she's in two, isn't she? Mm. Yeah, sorry, yes, yeah. From <laughs> this two. is the problem we're going to face, Gosh. is they're all going to blend together they, for yeah, you. Absolutely, even though yeah. they're all very different they're films. All, well, yeah. This, it's such a weird kind of thing. Like Three does feel very separate, but I, yeah, I did lose track of like what's yeah. one and what's two and what's three. Because no, I think none of them really have very strong villainous performances or what the villains are given to do doesn't really make much sense in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Axel is kind of just there to be the wisecracking Detroit cop kind of balancing out, like you said, all the, the, the Beverly Hills stuff. But three takes a fucking turn. It's as soon as we end up in Wonderworld, I'm like, <laughs> I, am, I am fucking done with yeah. this film. It, it is very much like the... Uh, it, there's a slight parallel with Lethal Weapon in the sense that it's obviously just, you know, cop story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's End of parallel. <laughs> <laughs> and... They're Each, cops. Yeah. Danny Glover is also African-American. <laughs> that's also, yeah, that's two parallels. No, but the fact that one and two have a similar kind of arguably visual uh, period aesthetic. Then the third one goes wacky. And admittedly, the third one works mostly for the Leith Weapon because they introduced Joe Pesci. And Joe Pesci in a comedy role is actually really funny. Even though the film was a bit questionable, we may come back to it later in the season. Who mm. knows? Mm. But Lethal Weapon 4 departs because it changes an entire decade and it becomes something entirely different and it now no longer resembles what it initially was. Mm. Um, Beverly Hills Cop does the same thing but goes straight from 2 to 3 with that. The departure from 2 and 3 of what felt like a really 80s, ingrained 80s uh, franchise became a 90s franchise that still felt like it was trapped in the 80s. Yeah, I, I mentioned Beverly Hills Cop, actually, when we were doing the interseason episodes, right, yeah. and uh, there was a question about what trilogy we'd like to kind of sequelize um, the whole thing. And and I mentioned Beverly Hills Cop because the it's so tonally inconsistent. The first film is perfectly fine, pretty good film. Um, yes. Eddie Murphy, it's a good role for him, like we've said. But it doesn't, uh, visually, it's just very straightforward. Then the second film, you have fucking Tony Scott directing it. Yeah. And it ramps up the kind of grittiness of it. Um, and is a like the action is better directed, as you would expect with having Tony Scott. But it, it it's a very it's slight it's a different tone. It um, loses the commentary in yeah. favor of the action sequences, in my opinion. Yeah. A lot of orangey hues. It basically it feels a bit like something Michael Bay might have seen and said, that, I want to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. yep, I totally agree. And then the third film, they go in completely the other direction yeah. and you get John Landis directing, who 
again, like there's no visual flair to it anymore. It's just like <laughs> flat. Here is what we filmed. Mm. Terrible action scenes that are borderline incomprehensible in certain places. Oh, the fucking roller coaster and Ferris wheel thing. Yeah, you just, feel like it's just, I missed something there. Just like there's no head. danger there whatsoever. Like, oh, we'll just climb down this rope with these kids and. <laughs> What? Who? What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking I did. Hell. I I was watching it and I had to rewind because I was like, "Where the hell has he got a rope from?" That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Yep. Like, yeah. That's an awfully handy thing to just, have hanging around. Just turns around. And it's like, well, we'll slide down this rope together. I'm like, hold on. How high are you? Yeah. <laughs> You're single-handedly sliding with bare hands, like it's two tearing kids. your hands apart yeah. with kids wrapped around your like, neck. He said it doesn't say specific to the children in the initial instruction. Um. He does eventually say, hold on to me, you know, like... And then there's Jurassic a joke of Park. like, oh, you hold on too tight. Exactly. Yeah. The classic joke. Which again, yeah. actually does work when it's Sam Neill delivering in Jurassic Park. Absolutely. But yeah. doesn't hear at all because it doesn't actually, actually tightens the grip at all. But then he says, S- we're going to slide down this rope. And he's like, wait, you're asking the child to slide down the rope? I mean, how are you, first of all, holding them with one hand? And it doesn't make any sense. Um, but there's a great moment with the uh, the entire carriage shifts. And I swear it's a, a in-cam effect or something like that that doesn't work. It looks like... Basically, it looks like when Han moved after Greedo started shooting at the same time <laughs> <laughs> in all the various versions he of He dodges Wars. a laser bullet. Yeah, it's like, like that oh. doesn't look right at all. And it sounds like we're sort of harping on, on, on specific minutiae here. But at the end of the day, that's all the film is. That speaks to the bigger picture of the whole thing, though, is Entirely. the problem that especially Wonderworld and the whole setting of that really brings out bland fucking action scenes. Yeah. Mm. And they're action scenes built around purposefully shitty rides like the joke is that i guess that the rides I, are a bit shitty but i they... don't think that's meant to be the joke i don't know if that is exactly yeah. that's the thing like that was the impression i got when it first started and then when he goes to see the alien attack thing with the like Battlestar Galactica style <laughs> robot alien oh, creatures yeah. he's like wow <laughs> the cylons sh- show up yeah the, <laughs> the budget cylons show up yeah like, wow what a show and he's hanging out like backstage and stuff like i might is that is that supposed to be? I know it's 1994. Maybe that was impressive. No, you know, well, it's, that's, years ago. that's meant to be Star. It like Wonderworld is meant to be Disneyland. Like this is they like, get the Sherman Brothers to record the, the "It's a Small World After All" kind of song. Yeah, it, it goes out of its way to make you think of Disney. Yeah, like yeah. that's meant. Like the 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 alien attack is meant to be Star Tours. Um, the you know the Uncle Dave mm, uh, is yeah. clearly meant to be Walt Disney, but like it doesn't they're working on such a limited budget mm. and clearly have sunk so much of it into the wonder world set with or I think it was they've just... sunk a lot of money into it without mm. it actually looking good it's just a <laughs> lot of expensive stuff that they don't really reuse either like the like the fact that the finale takes place in this weird like land of the dinosaur stuff that they haven't like there's no setup of like oh this is the here's an interesting place where we're going to have the finale that is the first time you see it in the film yeah when suddenly, they suddenly... suddenly the dinosaurs are roaring and stuff i'm like wait where is this i, I assumed would... we would go back to the alien bit because yeah. like you said you set that yeah. up with him going backstage i can't remember the um the like park attendant's name sure mm-hmm. He hangs out with her backstage and they have that moment. And I said, oh, this is going to come back later because obviously the guy gets crushed by the thing coming down and they're firing lasers. And you've Mm. got the kind of dual thing of like there's a fake battle, but there's also an actual gunfight happening at the same time. Mm. And in theory, that works. But then we're in dinosaur land. What dinosaur land? (laughs) The fuck are you talking about? Where's this? It does feel like somebody's pitched it as what if we did Die Hard 
but he's trapped in a theme park. Die Hard in a theme park. I mean, that is, that is absolutely the napkin yeah. fucking. Pitch, well, that is that yeah. is how they pitched. I don't oh, know really? if you guys looked no. at some of the history because oh boy, like Beverly Hills Cop Three was bad. There are so many bad potential versions of Beverly Hills Cop 3 oh. when you look at some of the plans they had. The I'm, initial, so, I'm so ready, Tim. Please. The initial plans were to have him go to London. Oh, oh I did hear about this. Oh, my God. Yes. And uh, deal with... And at one point, his, like, essentially British counterpart was going to be John Cleese. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and I then, need that in my life. And then they were going to do, yeah, basically Die Hard at Disney World. Mm. Um, and or, or potentially this was going to be a different film. And then they kind of did the thing of like, oh, we can't really afford to do it like we want to do it, but let's make it cheaper and turn it into a Beverly Hills Cop movie. That's mm. exactly what my guess was, is that this is one of those things that is a script for something else. Sure, and then they just went, yeah. uh... Can we, can we get Eddie Murphy? Which, let's face it, we'll fuck call, it. We'll let's make it a Beverly Hills Cop. We'll have to call it a Cloverfield from now on. Like, <laughs> this is a great script. Can we make it a Cloverfield movie? <laughs> just sucking all these weird, completely unrelated yeah. fucking stories Hoover into this franchise quote-unquote franchise that's yeah. just like not a thing really and that's i think that's a big part as soon as because like you said tim you mentioned it previously on the the trilogies episode we talked about and you said oh my god it's one of the most like tonally inconsistent trilogies ever and i thought really like on the cover of the box set they all look like basically <laughs> he's wearing the same jacket he's, wearing the, he's not even wearing the same jacket the first no, one he's not, that no. jacket is just introduced arbitrarily in two and then it becomes his thing mm. because nobody talks about it it's so weird <laughs> There's a lot of things that, are, like, like I said, it's kind of like the Evil Dead thing where like stuff is introduced in two, mm. or like Friday the Thirteenth, like oh Jason's the bad guy, it's like well his mum's actually the original villain, it's like oh yeah you kind of forget you that forget if you don't sense. know the franchise. He doesn't well. wear the mask until the third one. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and shit like that was like I always, always, always you say Axel Foley, I assume him holding a pistol and he's got the like Letterman, on a Letterman jacket, bonnet of a car. sitting on the bonnet of a car. Mm. Basically, doesn't happen until like halfway through the second film. You're like, mm -hmm. what the fuck is going on? This mm. is so weird. Audiences now will be familiar with our awesome, awesome artwork we have with uh, the series release stuff. Mm. Um, and obviously we have a discussion with John Scarrett, our, our in-house designer. And we came up to talk about ideas for what to do with Beverly Hills Cop 3. What the fuck is Beverly Hills Cop 3 vision? Can we, can we, can we put us in Letterman jackets, I guess? It's just we're, heads, it's, it's just, oh. we're just heads. Oh, good point. Shit. Um, could we be holding pistols? You guys don't have hands. <laughs> Shit. Um... Can we be sitting on? No, we can't be sitting on anything. Um, it's just like look the look of the three main characters, as it were, and thought again. No, even they're not particularly not, visually. No, not really. Uh, in, in theory, the you hair could, was you a could do hair. yeah, Foley, Rosewood, and Taggart, but it's not distinct that enough. Might involve blackface, and we can't be doing. Obviously, didn't do that. No, <laughs> but, uh, but you could do like the mustache, the 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 hairline of Taggart and the mustache, I guess. Yeah, and but then Rosewood think... is just white Judge, dude. Judge Reinhold. Judge hair. Reinhold yeah. just. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. It would nothing about it really stands out as a thing other than and, and and this is an interesting point because Beverly Hills Cop, the original, the first film, is very much a uh, Eddie Murphy coming off Saturday Night Live and doing big stuff kind of film. And he's he's done a lot of other films at this point. Like he's done Forty Eight Hours and oh, stuff yes, like exactly, that, which yes. is another action comedy. Yeah, entirely. And it feels very much like just give him the space to do what he needs to do, and he'll give you something good, which he mm. does. And I, I he's do, legit funny in the he, first one. He genuinely he's got is. some genuine like laugh out loud moments for me. <laughs> yeah, it works. There are zero in three. I didn't laugh once. 
I'm desperately trying. I laugh, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but not. I, there is one moment intentionally. Laughed, the guy that gets crushed by the alien thing, <laughs> and then they pan back to him and he screams, running he on, on fire. fire. <laughs> Even though he was crushed a minute ago, but he's also crushed and then running and set on fire. Yeah. How, what? It's what? Lunacy. Oh, God. I'm just firing an Uzi at people. Giant Uzis. Um, or one of uh, Serge's weapons. Uh, we, just the we groove are voice, definitely coming back. Serge to the, is kind of the groove voice. Yeah, we're definitely coming back to those, those fucking weapons in a minute. Um, <laughs> but again, it's a film driven by one actor's personality, um, and the the arguable problem with that is that it was a time where Murphy was still good waning a little mm. came back with Mulan and everyone loved him again and then came back with Donkey and everyone like oh my god anyway he's the amazing. best thing ever because yeah. I think he's like you said those two examples are voice acting examples correct and that helps him a lot because I think Eddie Murphy can pull off a lot more behind the microphone than he can on screen because he's got mm. so much to do like carrying three and trying to make that funny just is too much pressure on him i don't think he has in in 1994 eddie murphy cannot do that in my opinion and i don't know like like you said like the 80s eddie murphy is perfect for that he is fresh he's like you said to him he's done a few films but he's still in that kind of comedy coming off saturday night live thing mm. but i don't know if he just got like bored or tired by the 90s i don't know well, i think it's the year before the night professor isn't it so well, one of the fundamental problems here is is Murphy. And um, again, to kind of delve into the behind-the-scenes stuff, like there's a quote. Um, so this is asked in 1989 about a third installment of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. Murphy said, there's no reason to do it. I don't need the money, and it's not going to break any new ground. Oh, How shit. often can you have Axel Foley talk fast and get into a place he doesn't belong? <laughs> but these motherfuckers are developing scripts for it. They're in pre-production. <laughs> the only reason to do a cop three is to beat the bank, and Paramount ain't going to write me uh, no check as big as I want to do something like that. In fact, if I do cop three, you can safely say, ooh, he must have got a lot of money. <laughs> There we Bloody go. Bloody hell, from the so, horse's mouth. From the donkey's and mouth. And in the, I did read a quick thing in the like promotional material. He said it's the best of the three. And well, then years later, turns around and was like, I was basically forced to say that at gunpoint, essentially. Yeah. Like, they told me to say that, and I hate that film, and I regret making it. There's yeah. some really interesting kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, because he essentially like eddie murphy was kind of depressed at the time he was making this mm. and one of the things that he he like the scene at the start where he's like leading the not the swat team because they turned down the swat team oh, but, yeah but the, the, the his little unit and yeah. Cops, yeah he was like oh no i want axel foley he actually wanted to kind of push axel's character forward a bit and he was like no i want him to be more mature um and i don't want him to be this kind of reckless fast talking cop and yeah, then they specifically said that I remember reading. He's, that well. So he yeah. said that at the time, but then like ten years later, he turned around and was like, "Yeah, I was just kind of bored of the role and depressed at the time, and that was mm. a mistake to try and push the character in that direction because, like, it kind of it it kind of makes sense. It's the kind of decision that we might make as sequelizers is go mm. like, let's have the character grow up a little bit. But when your entire film franchise essentially revolves around, hey, this guy's reckless and he fast talks his way into places, moving him away from that, there's no, there's, there is no foundation to fall back on other than Eddie Murphy is a good comic performer. And, yes, yes. And, and the fun key thing about, especially the first one, because I have problems with the second one in this particular case, is the trio of 
Billy, Taggart and Foley working yes. well together and having the two yes. of them as the straight men mm. and eventually growing to respect and like Foley and understand his methods as mm-hmm. a detective and all that kind of stuff. And first of all, the problem with three, no Taggart. Suddenly Taggart disappears for no fucking reason. Ashton not being in this is a fucking mistake. They yeah. they basically, because production went on for so long and was delayed... Um, and the you know they they kind of kept having these different ideas at one point just having kind of refreshed my memory uh, recently um, apparently one of the other ideas that uh, where he was going to come to London was that he was going to be working with Sean Connery wow. <laughs> oh my god um, but wow. anyway the, the process dragged on so long that basically uh, Tagger and uh, Ronnie Cox who plays uh, Bogomil mm. both had other jobs by the time they got round <laughs> to put the filming yeah. time commitments and the thing is. I, um, Hector Alessandro, Alessandro, sorry, uh, does a good enough job. He's perfectly good as a replacement. It's the kind of thing where you could do like a sequelizer's pitch, where you say, "Who's a kind of mm, grumpy, lovable kind of guy that yes, would work?" Exactly. Mm. say, he's a really good shout. And also because he's a Latino guy, because it's Los Angeles, mm. it's actually a really kind of a better connection. If it was him from the start, it might actually be a stronger thing. But Taggart's still a really good character because what you have is the usual. Uh, double white guy duo of young, impressionable, innocent, naive kid and grizzled, older, hardened mm. cop. Like, oh God. It, again, you know, what we're used to seeing in that respect. And you introduce... The chaos that is... The chaos that, yeah. yeah. And, and also then an entirely different perspective from a minority character in these to these, you know, very mm. comfortable white guys. And that's yeah, a great dynamic. Yeah, they're comfortable in their Beverly Hills kind of hanging out and yeah. everything's cool and... And then, like, when he shows up with the gun, I think it's in the second one, he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't be carrying a gun around here. Like, why don't you say you're a police officer? It's like, well, I'm a young black man. I don't want. I don't think you'd believe me or something yeah. like that. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and you kind of touched on it earlier, Matt, and the commentary from the first one, like, I wasn't expecting it, but Eddie Murphy drops the N-word in a hotel, like, very loudly mm-hmm. on purpose to make a point, yeah. saying, like, oh, you're not letting me in this hotel because you don't let M words in this hotel, and he's making a very big, with a hard big R, commentary, really, like, real hard yeah, R. Yeah. Like I had the subtitles on it, had a hard R. <laughs> yeah, and obviously Eddie Murphy is making that comment, and obviously the script is as well making that commentary of he is a black guy from Detroit, and he does not fit in this world, and he mm. is not treated mm. the same way as these white detectives from Beverly Hills. Yeah, and the commentary just goes out the fucking window as the trilogy goes on. They mm. sort of have a bit of it in two it and fades, try and carry it, it on, but it's such a strong element of one and why one works for me. And the you have the Detroit versus Beverly Hills dynamic and you also have the the racial dynamic between the, the, tri- the trio mm-hmm. and the whole police department in general. Yeah that it works really well and that just goes out the fucking window basically. Well this is the thing like the Wonderworld setting I think there's an there's a potentially interesting film in like the very basic die hard at um Disneyland there's also an interesting film in like yeah like some dodgy dealings going on at Disneyland Star Park and like exploring it gets a little bit inside baseball and like mm. I'm sure we'll get on to the fucking amount of cameos that are in this film oh, <laughs> um, but, I, was, I was fucking done when George Lucas showed up but the problem like hey. neither <laughs> neither of those are Beverly Hills cop films and no, you're no. setting it in a place that draws people from all over like Wonderworld is very is not the same environment as Beverly Hills. And there's very little sense of that kind of affluence and the the kind of the the class and the racial differences because you're setting it in a tourist attraction which brings in all kinds of people. Sure. Obviously you've got to 
have a certain amount of money to get to Disney World slash Wonder World. $35 for a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the first things he says when he gets there. Like, yep. yeah. um, but it doesn't have the same level of like sort of uh, stratification that you get in the initial films because it's somewhere that's trying to market itself to everybody and it's like like it's full of kids and so there's not the same sense of like institutional racism and classism that that you would get in anywhere else it just it blunts the entire the any kind of bite and satire and point that the franchise had mm-hmm. there's a great scene that this is a strange digression but when they go behind the scenes and he's you know walking through the, the corridors as it were and comes out you know before the ferris wheel stuff and it's the whole yeah there isn't a whole underground city in this thing it's, it's like this the nature of the pristine exterior with a, a, a seedy underground is a perfect analogy for the kind of thing you could do mm. it's, it's a great thing but then and as i was thinking this in the rewatch um i was showing a clip to my wife i said em em Stormtroopers. And she went, what? And I I played her a clip again where Axel's got his hands in his pockets, stoopy doopy doo, walking down this corridor, mm. and a guy a goon comes up from behind him, aims the gun, and shoots directly into the wall and goes, yeah. ah! and then runs away again, despite the fact that Axel has gone out yet. And I was like, wait, that's dumb. I literally, and not like, you know, it's a case of like, Axel should be dead. And I know there's a moment like that in the second film where Bridget Nielsen gets the drop on Axel and then, you know. The cops turn up basically, mm. but this feels really like no. That's that's that doesn't make any sense. That's remarkably stupid. The plot, or or not necessarily the plot, but the actions of the villains in this are absolutely like nonsense because they're so like they immediately start shooting at him when he's just a policeman who's made his way like or just they don't even know he's a policeman. He's just a dude who's made his way backstage, and they open fire on him. Yes. Like mm. why? Like, that is not how that would go. Again, if you're making the commentary point about a black yeah. man being with inverted commas shouldn't be, it's like, ah, right. And then it's like, ah, we are now making a commentary about, yeah. but they're not. And the, the, in one of the most boring, boring car chase sequences <laughs> oh I God. have ever <laughs> seen. It's the worst. Where the car's like, oh no, the seat's been shot out. It's like, what is this <laughs> nonsense? They, they say the villains are, and it's like, oh, I've been shot. What do I do? And then the villain leans over, slowly opens the door, kicks him out, and Axel Foley drives over him. Yeah. <laughs> and the little dummy in the back. It's, it's just remarkably stupid. And I think you're, Tim's right. It's not necessarily as silly as it sounds. The plot that's the problem. Mm. It's the circumstances the plot presents. It's just mm. set piece to set piece, and they're all shit and don't make, to be fair, a great deal of sense. Yeah, Ellis DeWald, the villain, is just... Sorry. Alice DeWald, everybody! Alice DeWald! Alice DeWald! Alice DeWald! Alice DeWald! Alice DeWald! Carry on, sorry. Oh, yeah. Like, there are some... Like, in theory, that's a good moment. That's a... Yeah, like, right. That's a very Axel Foley thing to do. Which mm. was like... I can't remember what he specifically says. Like, yeah, when I killed... I killed your buddy. Or when killed I killed your, your, bo- killed your boss or whatever. And he just has to punch him. What is his plan? Like, he's such a weird, convoluted thing to, like... At some point, he then tries to frame Axel... And then, like, gives him his gun back. I was like, why don't you just kill him right now? Like you said, with the the guards pointing guns at Axel and then being like, oh, no, uh, I'll shoot the wall. Yes. Why why not just shoot him right now? He's another Talia al Ghul. Yes, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, I have a trigger for the bomb that's a thing that I will press when I die anyway. It's like, why didn't you do it two months ago? Yeah. 
Why is any of this happening? Why you just shoot the fucker in the first place? Yeah, none us. of this makes sense. Like in the first one, the whole fucking thing is a cold-blooded hit on his best friend. Yes, and that's great. That's that brings a lot of grit and a lot of tension Genuinely to that, does. and gives him a genuine reason to be like, I need to go and investigate this motherfucker. You better not be over there investigating this thing. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like I have to because not only is he my best friend, he's like a former criminal. It ties yeah, him back yeah, into yeah. like his his uh, like pre-cop days and like mm-hmm. how he was on the wrong side of the law before he became on the right side of the law and all this kind of stuff and gives him real motivation to do what he does. Whereas this is just like, well, I guess he's in Disneyland for a bit and then the guy's trying to frame him for a bit. I'm like, well, the when, why don't you just have him killed? If this guy is all powerful and yeah. they, they say it multiple times, like he runs the largest private cop force in America or whatever. Mm. Like, the fuck is a private cop? What does that mean? <laughs> this is interesting. Do you I mean th- security agency? They're two different things. <laughs> I think this is why Die Hard ended up being so refreshing in 88 because there were so many convolute... I mean, obviously, yes, there was also the action side of things with like, you know, infinite ammo, ripped muscles going mm. on. You know, Commando, the- that shit. Exactly. Yeah. But the bad guys, there's a wonderful moment Holly Gennaro says, after all your speeches, you're nothing more than a common thief. And I think that was a resonating thing. And he's like, oh, I'm an exceptional thief. And yeah. it's it's a really moment like, oh, I get it. He just wants some more money. That, mm. That's easy. Whereas the the bad guys have leaving like, even Robocop and Lethal Weapon, like diplomatic immunity with Joss mm. Ackland. Oh, God. It's it's. it's the, what are you after? And so, so the clean slate, <laughs> <laughs> fucking clean slate. <laughs> it, it is genuinely, and the thing is, it convolutes itself on too many plans. It has to feel like it's being more intelligent. But just the idea that this cop inadvertently and accidentally stumbles on something because he refuses to say no to the people in charge and just act, you know, doesn't, doesn't mm. accept the status quo, which is obviously a negative in this case, um, is enough to just. You know, oh, what's wrong here? Crime's happening, and I want to fix the crime. That would be fine. Yeah, <laughs> but because he has to have a master plan, this super villain, it just becomes so nonsensical so quickly, and also invalidates half of what's happening. And it also puts a very strange question on who's the villain, who's what's the ultimate goal, what are they trying to attain? Because if you want to try and do a synopsis, I mean, again, I always maintain this: if you ever watch a film and think, no, it, it makes sense, I, I kind of get it. Fine, but if we were pitching it to you now as sequelizers and you hadn't already seen the finished movie, mm. there's no way you'd let us away with that. You'd say, fuck <laughs> off, that's stupid. You guys should have thought about this beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the the stuff of like the fact that you've got Ellis DeWolf, but then you've also got the, I think he's like the chief of operations for the park who's in on it. And yes. it's like, oh, wait, so which one of these is the actual bad guy? Because that like he seems like he's a higher rank than the guy who's just in charge of security. Yeah. But then like the film then kind of makes it feel like Ellis is the one in charge. It's like, well, if he's, if the guy who's in charge of operations for the whole park is the second in command, like surely he's the more integral part. If they're doing stuff using like the park equipment and hiding Mm. it, like that it feels like there's too many moving parts. Yeah. It's a Palpatine. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I won't say any more than that because of release dates. And I think by this time, people will have seen most of the Rise of Skywalker. I would hope so. People yeah. have seen but, this by yeah. now. Uh, if your villain is complicating things because it's all part of their plan, but the plan is fucking stupid, you've kind of failed the script right from the get-go, yeah. in my opinion. But yeah, Absolutely, yeah. But then equally, other than screenwriting, 
director should step in at that point and make it make it work. I was going to say, speaking of villains, <laughs> let's talk about John Landis. Speaking of murderers. <laughs> John Landis in the 80s is Killed great. a bunch of people. <laughs> no, well, yes. Sorry, that was the 90s. Yeah. John Landis in the 80s was great. Uh, having said that, though, I remember watch, I was watching Trading Places at Christmas and um, thinking, I don't really understand why this is good and why do i like it so much? or at least think i liked it mm. and i can see there's a memorable performance again by eddie murphy on a john landis film and so they, they immediately if we were pitching this as if it didn't happen landis feels like almost like a good shout in a weird way mm. and then you know the blackface scenes happen you go oh no <laughs> oh no this is, this is terrible um but but landis is a strange one because he has done some genuinely amazing films mm. i love american wealth in london I um, love America. Well, and coming to America yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Until Murphy again. They yeah. do coming to America too next this year. I think it's 2020. It's coming out. Oh, God. Sequelizers. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Giving us that sweet content. Thank you very much, Hollywood. Um, but then after Twilight Zone, the movie, if you don't know, and depressingly, please don't research too much because if you go on YouTube, you can see the actual footage of people. Sorry, an actor and children dying. Mm. Um, yeah, so the uh, Twilight Zone movie was an anthology film of various other skits from the, um, uh, the original TV series. And there was a terrible, terrible accident that took place at nighttime. Just a few things went wrong because films are very dangerous in general, mm. especially when you got action. And two Asian kids and one actor were literally decapitated sorry decapitated by a helicopter and on camera on camera on set on set at night when they shouldn't have been there in the first place yeah there was a bunch of like safety regulations he'd broken or something like that wasn't there yeah he was charged with involuntary manslaughter and and a few other people were as well who were you know safety supervisors and stuff like that that was again films can be very dangerous shit can go wrong Mm. and we will discuss this later in the season without saying so much spoilers it's almost it, well. No, it, it is always a tragedy, and it's always avoidable. Mm. Mm. Having said that, you can't just then bounce back and keep doing what you're doing. Sometimes, sometimes you need period to reflect. We're talking about a very few years in in gap, as it were, and then Landis is back doing silly, quirky stuff. I was like, what should we do? I know. Let's get. Were they two Latino kids in the Ferris wheel? I think. Yeah. They were. Mm. Yes. Probably. Two people of color, and. Uh, Axel Foley helping them out of there in a precarious situation. I keep thinking to myself, I feel like this is something you shouldn't be joking about, Landis. <laughs> at I haven't all. made that connection, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of... They're in a life and death situation and it's specifically that combination of people. Lead like, actor yeah. saving two children. And you're like, uh, no. And again, I can't imagine anyone on the Hollywood scene who knew what was happening and what happened in the court, as it were, turning around and saying, oh, that makes sense. This is a good thing to have in this I bet film. loads of people didn't make the connection. Yeah. Loads of people were just like, well, it's Ferris wheel. It's different. Maybe people, yeah, maybe people literally did. It's just a big spinning piece of metal. Oh, God. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no, God. but Landis is a, is a difficult one. Um, I I immediately think he, he's the first thing that needs to be dropped to, to in any way fix this film. Landis needs to go. There's a little hint for the pitch in the future. <laughs> no, Tim doubled down. Landis is the lead character now, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's Those he's not only pl- directing it, he, came, he he plays multiple different roles. He's pulling off an Eddie Murphy yes. before Eddie oh, Murphy did a, it. A, a Norbit. Yeah, there's a a, a series starring uh, Billy Eichner uh, called Difficult People ah. um, where they have the fantastic joke where a character says, uh, what do you think John Landis's worst contribution to society is? His alleged manslaughter or his son Max? <laughs> <laughs> 
Fucking hell. Oh, dear. There's not just one evil Landis. <laughs> There's at least two of them. How are we getting a sequel to Bright? I really I hope fucking not. hope not. Do you remember when he called that his Lord of the Rings? Oh, <laughs> he called it his Lord God. of the Rings and he called it his Star Wars. Yeah. Fucking hell. That's pretty high up on one of the worst films I've seen as well. We talked Bright? about Cats being the worst. Bright, I found so abrasively offensive to me as a fan of fantasy and as a person who exists in the modern world. <laughs> I, I must admit, oh, I, I Bright actually is, have Bright seen, is the worst. I've seen so much worse, but it's just a shit training day. Um, training well, day. like a weird, racist, awful training day. And yes. Bright is... Bad, Bright is terrible. And, Bright and, is and bad. Bad. Lindsay Ellis has a great video digging into like why yes. the world building is so completely nonsensical. It does, that's a huge part work. of it. Yeah, doesn't make any yeah. sense. Let's not get into that. Let's yeah. not, I let's will not. be here all we fucking do, day. Let's do an interseason about it. Go go and check out Lindsay if you, Ellis. If you guys video. want to She's talk fantastic. about it on like an interseason or something, please let us know because we would. For, but I we, haven't seen. I haven't seen Bright. Not seen Bright. No. Because because I saw Max Landis was attached, and then I saw the reviews, and I thought. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to waste my like two hours, ten minutes on that or however long it is. I'd like to see the, the thing where Tim just looks at it and there's a silent sort of cu- a couple of seconds between close-ups of him and a the screen then scrolls up to the X and crosses it and closes <laughs> the window and goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> not today and not ever. Not today, Satan. Yeah, I've got, I got better things to do with my time. I've got, got to watch the same YouTube videos over and over <laughs> yeah. again. And watch loads of shitty films for this podcast. Well, exactly. Not just I've in your free time. I've got to capitalise my, my shitty film time Absolutely. on stuff we, uh, on purely bad sequels. There's a quota. Bright will never be part of it. Um, so one of the things I want to touch on again, and why especially the third one, but also the second one kind of has a problem with, and I, I kind of touched on it earlier is the trio of Taggart, Rosewood and Foley as a, as a trio of cops working together. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else think Billy Rosewood is a serial killer? <laughs> Cause I do. I think he's, he's a, a man fucking, child. He's fucking Patrick Bateman. He's terrifying yeah. with his little tortoise and his house full of plants. And like out of nowhere, he has a really fucking short fuse and he's like, oh, yeah. he's kind of like a naive, like you said, Matt, he's the kind of naive young one in the first one. And then he grows up to be the the DOD, JSO, OCQ, LTA, whatever the fuck he is. His ridiculous title that he has yes. in the third one. Is that the right character to mature up and turn into like this hardened by the books guy? Like it's, he's well, so... Three felt it had to because it didn't have anyone else. Exactly. But they've run out of like steam for his character mm. so quickly because... They've already done him being a naive thing. He even has a shorter fuse and is a bit of a dick in the second one for some reason. I'm like, where is this coming from? Well, Billy, Billy is like the, not the funny one, but he's like the he's like the pure naive one. one. He's the mm. pure one. And then he starts standing up to the um, the chief of police. Yes. No, you asshole. You listen to me. I'm like, who the fuck is this character? <laughs> Shouldn't Taggart be the one that kind well, of like, it would make more sense. I know Taggart has been by the book for years and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It makes sense if his character grows up to be like, Oh, I've done it by the book for so long, but now I see that you know there's another way. Act, mm. There is another way you can you can work with Foley and his style mm-hmm. and do that kind of police work as well as the stuff I've been doing my entire career. And even has the like, oh, we were in the academy together with the chief of police and all this kind of yeah. stuff. I think it's a generational comment. I think Taggart is literally the old generation saying we do it a certain way, and I'm never going to change. And 
in the 80s at least, this is a comment, I guess, about Generation X, maybe? <laughs> Whereby they're saying that, oh, you lot are all head in the clouds and you're not focused. And the same mm. way that every younger generation is always like, oh, and you millennials are all, you know, mm. and you're all about your titles and your fancy whatever, and you're too soft and you don't understand. And You didn't go through Vietnam. Exactly. And that's the whole thing. It's like, well, you didn't see the Korean War. You went for mm. Vietnam. You're just some spoiled kid who just wants to play with office toys kind of thing. And you're, you're mm. little toys, you're happy. In the same way, like, um, in the second one, cover was maybe, maybe it's the first one. I'm not sure because that's how Beverly Hills yep, works. That's how it works. Uh, cover me, and he goes ah, do 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 do, fires off, and then gets down, and then Tiger says, "If you do that again, I'll shoot you myself." That's the first one. That's the first one, is it? Yeah, yeah. They're they're invading the house of the that's art right. collector villain it's guy. Funny, that's why. And, it's the and, first and, one. And it, well, he he <laughs> does the like. Okay, everybody, drop your weapons. This is the police. And the guy fires his machine gun, and he yeah. ducks behind the like plant pot or whatever. And like you said, Taggart then goes. Yeah, you don't do that. If you do that again, I'll shoot you myself. <laughs> yeah. This is not the time to be like, okay, everybody freeze. There's a guy with a fucking machine gun up there. <laughs> yes. And these guys don't care that we're police. They just want to kill us. And that divide between them and then Foley coming in and mixing that up is fantastic. That's mm. that's why that trio works so well. Entirely. And then in the second one, a little bit, he kind of twists off of that. And, yeah, then, in yeah. the, and then in the third one, he's a completely different fucking character. Yes. Which I get because there is seven years in theory mm. between, you know, the second one in 87 sure. and the third one in 94. But it feels like such a drastic change that you maybe could have kept some of that naivete with You could go really Billy. bold and make him the villain. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that would have been my suggestion, like mm. I said. Because he has moments in the third one and I can't specifically remember and I really vividly remember thinking... Is Billy about to turn on Axel? Mm. Is he behind this whole... Holy mm. shit. Are they going to do something? No, wait, we're sequelizing this. This can't be clever. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely going to be shit. And I have this like brief spark of like, oh my God, if they turn Billy evil, this, is, this could be really quite clever. Yeah. Oh no, fuck it. They didn't. No, no, not at all. I think it's, it's partially born from him essentially doing double duty as both himself and Taggart yes, in this film. Yes. Absolutely. Like yeah. they, they put him in a position of more responsibility so that he can seem more mature but then he also they do stuff like have him order a giant raid on an empty truck to show that he's still kind of naive and like it, it just makes this quite inconsistent character yeah um and you know judge reinhold is fine enough but i don't think he's a talented enough actor to really like when the writing is inconsistent like sometimes a good actor can write it out and make it seem like a, a character who's just you know changeable or whatever yeah. and uh, yeah no 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 one in, involved in beverly hills got three is talented enough to make that work no. um i think it is it, yeah i think he's meant to be kind of almost like a kind of yuppie cop and I think that, yeah, you know, the yeah. kind of the preoccupation with, you know, the, the sort of high tech toys and stuff like that more or less makes sense. And I and I think the kind of having him with his headset constantly on sort of works in this film. But mm. again, it's just such a muddled like he doesn't really get a huge amount to do like and he doesn't kind of bounce off of Axel in the same way that he does no, in the previous films. Not at all. Speaking of high-tech toys for a second, because uh, I want to uh, pull something out here. You want to talk about the weapons? Serge. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Serge. 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 He's, not a, he's not an energy drink. I'm, I'm not Serge. That's some First. kind of energy drink. I wish I could, but I can't. It's abhorrent to me. Is that character offensive? Yes. Okay, good. Basically, LGBTQ 
face. <laughs> queer face? Where somebody's that she quit code it's it's coded bullshit, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and it's the idea that but then it's like, oh, I've got into the weapons market now, and I'm now designed this ridiculous looking cardboard box that Okay, no, again, just to, to drill down on my actual point before I get into it. This film, uh, we talk about the commentary in the previous one, we talk about the shift to action, all these things, but they still maintain their um their level of swearing intensity because it's an R-rated film mm. in America 15 or whatever's over here. There's still a lot of swearing in this movie in mm. in in Beverly Hills Cop three, and it's still a lot of adult scenarios, as it were. But it feels like a fucking kids film. Yeah, it does. The tone Absolutely. is so stupid. It's a kids film with some f words thrown in. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very immature and ridiculous in, it, in its delivery. And that scene is one a, a simple example of it um, because they just bump into him at this convention. He just happens to be there. They oh come, my god, Aquil! Hey, yeah. sir, Jay, how's it going? LA's tiny, you're all over the place. And then they have a whole... Pre- they literally watch him show a presentation that could have been cut from the film that's nothing. Mm. Um, except for the blinding light key ring yeah. thing. And there is a uh, box with a microwave oven and all this sort of stuff on it. And it's also a machine gun. And it... Look... There are times that can work really fucking well. I think the Zorg gun in Fifth Element, mm. where... Old Michelle's like my personal favorite. <laughs> fucking great. Works really well. And it's silly that, and funny. That film is silly as fuck. Exactly. That's why it works. Mm. Exactly. It suits the tone of that film. I would also maintain that's actually a cool design. His gun, which has a little thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still, it's stupid, but it works. Mm. This thing literally looks like it's been, how can I phrase this? So like, it looks like a fucking Nerf gun to me. Yes. It's, it's a thing a child makes. Uh, but yeah. It looks like a, it looks like a shoebox with like a Pringles tube stuck to it. Yes, yes. absolutely. Now, this is a strange Maybe it literally is in <laughs> terms of set design. It like could easily design, be. Yeah. The, um, okay, Matt educates the people time. I'm saying, I'm saying. So there is What's a- What's the story today, Uncle Matt? Today is Central African filmmaking. Jesus Christ, okay. <laughs> yeah. There is a company called Wakulliwood, Um, and they are a very small group of filmmakers in Central Africa. And the thing is, and this is the key point here now, um, it's a really sweet, beautiful uh, style of filmmaking from Uganda where um, they have a few bits, pieces of local colloquialism. So, for example, they have what's called a VJ, if I remember correctly, where a guy narrates the film that's happening. So there's a film happening and this guy talks over the top. And I'm not going to do impressions because it'll go down very badly. But <laughs> he basically explains, like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, it looks shady to me. Is that a commentary? No, that's just the film. And then he explains, oh, by the way, in Uganda, we have these things and we explain the film. And it's almost like a silent movie where someone translated it in the same way that you wouldn't have subtitles. You'd have people just okay. explain the movie to you. Anyway, so there, one of the famous films is uh, Who Killed Captain Alex? Google a trailer. It's fucking amazing. It's really fun. And I, I genuinely, I mean, everyone talks about the room being like, oh, it's. Is this one of these incredibly low budget CGI? Low budget. Yes, yes, I've seen yeah. these things before. Yeah. But because it comes from such a place of sweet innocence and it's so, everyone's having such a great time doing it, it's it's genuine. I really genuinely love it mm. as a bit of filmmaking. It's the kind of thing, it, like um, Son of Rambo kind of filmmaking yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, but the, the, some of the guns are like, you know prop airsoft stuff some are literally cardboard tubes with little tiny wooden pegs for like uh like gatling gun <laughs> uh, chain feed mm. and it's fantastic it's fun and silly and it's great even though it's gonna be quite serious that gun in beverly hill cup 3 reminds me of all those things it's just <laughs> a big box with things bolted onto it yeah. and it's just and again i can't i don't really know why it makes me so angry it doesn't even work for the for the character as established you've got a guy who used to like for so 
A, the decision to have him go from working in a gallery to working as a weapons manufacturer is completely nonsensical. Mm. But also, like, you've got a character who's, like, one or, like, of his established traits, like, one of the key ones is, like, he likes aesthetics and things that are well designed. And, like, this yes. thing That's looks... what he goes on about in the first one the yeah. whole time. Yeah, and this thing looks awful. <laughs> so, like... Surely the whole point would be that he would produce something that like is way over designed, but in a way that made it look like it it, it looks incredible, but is very impractical. It fires three bullets. Why is it fire three bullets? Oh, because the clip is ugly. Yeah. I wanted a smooth design. That would make sense. Like a designer yeah. gun or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, the guns by Chanel. Yeah. Like, Which yeah. again brings us back to Fifth Element because Gautier worked on most yeah. of that film. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but I think the thing that sort of frustrates me with that character in the whole process is that again, the movie has introduced something in a previous film or even just in itself, established it as a status quo, then turned on heads and said, ah, for the purpose of a cheap joke, we'll make it something else and it doesn't mm. work. Even when they cut to Axel Foley watching the you know the presentation footage video mm. um he goes eh, eh, eh. and it's not because he doesn't care and wants to get away it's because it's just nobody on the film seems to give a shit this film like the main thing that you get from watching this film is it's so plodding yes. like there's no sense of like tension at any point it's so slow every scene feels like it drags on far too long and so many of the jokes fall flat because there's just no there's no sense of pacing to it like the bit where he comes out in when they're like storming wonderworld at the end and he's got this gun which as yes. we've established looks terrible and he's fire he's trying to figure out how to fire and he's it duck behind the bench and he keeps having yeah. to duck behind the bench because he like he shoots out a net and it doesn't go far enough and there's the two guards advance a bit and then so uh -huh. he comes uh -huh. out again and it looks like yeah. he's going to fire and like that's not a very original or particularly good joke, but it, it, there's it, in the right situations that could be a solid enough joke. It's a but, police academy joke. Yeah, what it is. it's yeah, but it's directed so flatly and with no <laughs> sense of like, there's no pacing to it, mm. and the way it's edited and stuff like that that it just it just feels like you're watching like a dad working out how to light the new barbecue that he's yes. like yeah, found. That is what it is found bought whatever like <laughs> no he's he's he has stumbled across a barbecue and is insisting on lighting it um yeah it just there's just so many shots that just kind of like drag on and kill any sense of comic timing which brings us back to landis again because mm. an american werewolf in london a very serious and really well done horror film mm. uh, even weird wacky shit like nazi werewolf dreams work mm. and the moments of humor are really fucking good mm. they work very nicely um he pulled that off. And you like coming to America, even arguably most of trading places, it's presentable and makes sense. I mean, for fuck's sake, the bad guys in trading places make complete sense. We're rich assholes. We made a bet with each other. Let's see how mm. it goes. That it, it, the whole trading stock stuff is confusing because mm. orange juice. But at the same time, <laughs> it may it's, it's quite clear. So there is evidence that Landis can do this. Mm. And if we had um, I don't know, an entirely different uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3. And we sat down and said, how are we going to fix this? And someone said Landis. And we were like, that, that could work. In yeah. theory, he's not a bad choice. On paper, yeah. it's great. But then you see the execution. And it's like, like anything when you say the sequelizers. We obviously pitch up so many different concepts, so many different uh, actors, directors, cinematographers, anything that might mm. fix the film. And then you see it in practice and think, oh, no, turns out even with the perfect formula, yeah. <laughs> piece of shit. Um, but 
Speaking of piece of shit, as uh, I'm editing this episode, it's my turn to bounce out the old Rotten Tomato scores. It is indeed. You guys want to guess how big a piece of shit? We'll go with the entire trilogy. We'll have a guess of Peach. We'll go one to to three. Jack, why don't you start us off? Um, I will go in order one, two, three. I think the first one is a 75. The second one is 55. And the third one is 20. Would okay. be my guess. 75, 55, 20 is my guess. Okay, Tim? I'm going to guess the better, the first one is better received. I think I'm going to go okay. as high as 85. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. okay. I think the second one is going to be a um, 65. Okay. And then... Are you, are you like Price is writing me? <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the third one... 21. <laughs> again, I think I think the critics are going to be more generous than we are. Mm, I think it's going to be like a 30. I'm worried it's going to be like a 4. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh-oh. Except... Okay, so obviously there are six guesses for three films. Sure. Mm-hmm. And other than one guess for one film, you're fucked up. So, <laughs> here's the thing. Beverly Hills Cop, one. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, Jack's at 75. Tim said 85. Tim was the closest was 83. Well, okay, okay. okay. I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah Just I'm, as a parallel for a second here, I'm going to throw in an additional. I'm going to oh, give you the now. Metacritic score as well. I was like, okay. I don't remember I guess, I'll just whoa. tell you. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're breaking my... There are other services yeah, that Twitter. aggregate critic scores. <laughs> in my melon, man. So it's also not only a critic, but also audience as well in that regard. Um... And I must admit, the Metacritic one, I actually think is a much more representative thing of the actual franchise. Mm. Maybe a little bit. So the Metacritic score for number one is 64. Because Beverly Hills Cop looks great. I think more of a 70 for me personally. Mm. I don't know if it's necessarily 83, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Number two. Uh, so <clears throat> the 55 from Jack, 65 from Tim. Uh, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, almost exactly the same here. Oh, okay. Interesting. 46. Fuck Ooh. me. And 48 on Metacritic. Wow. Interesting. So, and again, I don't think it's that bad. So I mean, that's a nearly a 40 point drop off. Which is Man. usually our that's remit. A, that's a sequelizer. Yeah, that's drop off. That's yeah. what that is. But that's, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I think Tony Scott did a different film. I think mm. it's still fine. I think it's noticeably worse than the first one. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's a departure. Watching them back to back, you really notice it. That's mm-hmm. true, actually. I had a lot of fun with the first one. And I was like, this is less fun. No. Oh, this is no fun. But I will say, <laughs> two is still memorable. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. again, every time you think of a saying like, "Oh, that's from three. No, that's two. Oh, well, <laughs> as that's, I've that's done twice so far. In this <laughs> <Yeah. case. laughs> um, and then <clears throat> finally, the third part, the piece of shit. Um, Twenty from Jack, thirty from Tim, both wrong. It's ten. Wow. Mm. Ten on tomorrow's. Wow. I mean, that's correct. That's yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 was, the me- bad... was the Metacritic bad? Uh, Sixteen, but I don't remember yeah, that. that yeah, that's, more that's, accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a bad film. I, I whenever I rate things highly, it's usually because I think. Critics are more generous than yeah. the film is Sometimes actually good. They're overly punishing or they're overly praiseworthy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think. I mean, yeah, eighties. Again, I, I can't place it because it's such a strange. Well, one. it's it's such it, like we mentioned Jurassic Park earlier. Like Beverly Hills Cop three comes out the year after Jurassic Park, and they feel a generation apart. Yes, like it still feels. God, I hadn't even put that like, together. Yeah an 80s it still feels like the kind of film that would come out in like 1989 1990 yep. you get the fucking dinosaur park ending 
Yeah. This is a year <laughs> yeah. after yeah. Jurassic. I had not put that to yeah. those two in like chronological order. That just melted my brain. I mean, brain. Just, just to give you a perspective here, 1994's biggest films in terms of like what we look now on, look back on the films. If I was to name... Pulp um, Fiction's got to be in there? Yeah, Pulp Fiction, mm. The Lion King. Of course, mm. of course, yes. And The Shawshank Redemption. Wow. Mm. Some let's face three it, three all-time greats. Exactly, yeah. and then you've got other huge hits like True Lies and Speed and The Crow mm, and bits yeah. and pieces. God, there, Speed's some, ninety-four as well. Yeah. Exactly, this is a great year for stuff, arguably. Mm. But then this thing just sneaks in there as well. You think, what are you doing here? <laughs> it feels, it feels, it almost feels like if you swapped out Eddie Murphy for like someone else, like a like Damon Wayans, if could this could feel you would not be shocked to find out this was director video. Yes. Like, and not a Beverly Hills. <laughs> and 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 weirdly, it cost them a huge amount of money. Like yeah. they had to cut back on stuff because they were overspending, both on because the, of the crazy park sets. Because stuff? partially because of the crazy park stuff, which doesn't look good at the end. No, of the it day. looks cheap and shitty. Um, but also because they had to pay Eddie Murphy so much money to be in <laughs> right. it. Here's a little. Not, do you, not do again. you know how much he got paid? I all. know what the, it, the budget was. So we can probably figure it out. So the first film. Cost fifteen million. Uh, uh, reportedly, reportedly, mm. yeah, 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 fifteen million dollars. Second Seems film reasonable. Yeah. was twenty million dollars. Okay, mm. yeah. Now so obviously far, it's so a leap. Yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah. I have a feeling we're about to jump into triple figures here because I'm a bit worried. Uh, have a guess, gentlemen. It's uh, not. It's not crazy huge. Okay, but it's a problem. Hundred and twenty. Okay. I don't think that much. I think like admittedly sixty. You're both a little off. It's mm. 50, 50 million. Okay, yeah. that's still more than both of the first two combined, and then more yeah yeah that's crazy that's two and a half times the second one. yeah and none of it shows on screen in terms of like you don't yeah. feel like well this is terrible but at least it's a, a flush movie at least there's tons of yeah. things and it feels like it's actually earned its mm. cash mm. yeah that's the thing like i said earlier like you can tell that they've sunk a lot of money into the theme park stuff but because those things cost so much money they still look really cheap yes you know a theme park is an expensive thing to run it's yeah. even more expensive to replicate for one film yeah and i know they use like older versions of bush gardens or disused places yeah things, they, they filmed then, at real places yeah. but even those were shittier versions of disneyland like the only way this yes. would really work is if they'd got disneyland to let them film there which obviously mm. would not have Literally ever happened gotten the rights for disneyland that would have been insane yeah i wonder if they did that for um saving mr banks because obviously a lot of scenes set in an older disneyland mm. in anaheim so that's produced by Disney, though, isn't it? So. Uh, There's also yeah. Um, yeah. Escape from Tomorrow, oh. which is covertly shot at Disneyland. Yes. So I I have done some fixing for this film, and hopefully uh, it will appeal. But before we get into that, uh, we should uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, who is Stitcher Premium. Do, do, do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't have a theme. <laughs> I just hum the theme in the background. Yep. Um, so Stitcher, you're probably familiar with if you're listening to podcasts, just like us. Mm. Um, it's a dedicated service for listening to podcasts, it's a really good app. Um, and the premium service, uh, is really worth getting. You get, um, a whole bunch of original shows that they do. You get bonus episodes, you get access to comedy albums and things like that. Um, it's just a, it's a really good service. Um, if I, you enjoy podcasts. Yeah. I always approve of specifically built for podcasting apps mm -hmm. as i've always used them i've never really gotten into the like oh using the spotify for it or whatever i've that i always see that as like a separate music thing if that makes sense mm. and i've always tried to find things I, built for specific purposes i'll admit i have and i do at times use other ones but the thing is the frustrates me is that they are not designed for it 
they will be like a bolt-on and so if you are very serious about your podcasts and yeah you will get more out of a service like this yeah 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 absolutely um and uh you can get stitcher premium for 4.99 a month in dollars not quite sure what that translates to at the moment who knows what the economy is doing 10 phenobian wood dollars yes Mm. and also 20 pounds because the pound is on the toilet as always um uh, or you can get sign up for a year for 34.99 which is pretty good saving uh and if you want even more of a saving uh you can get one month for free by going to stitcher.com slash premium and using the promo code sequelizers spelt like it says on your with all the s's and all the e's and yep. the q's and all that fun stuff on your yep. podcast podcatching app of choice but with it should be stitcher hopefully stitcher um yeah, so uh and um there's there's a huge range of great shows on there. Um the one I'd like to highlight uh this week is uh given that we're talking about Eddie Murphy, who obviously started as a very talented uh stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um Conan O'Brien's uh put out a show that is basically collating the best of the stand-up that he's had on his shows oh, interesting. for previous years and like goes back quite a way and so you have a really really good like just a kind of murderer's row of stand-up comedians going back into the 90s um so you get everyone from like rodney dangerfield going <laughs> all the way up no to stuff, stuff like uh zach galifianakis and stuff like huh. that in the in the kind of mid 2000s and they're basically yeah they're they're covering roughly a year each time like a season of, of conan's show um and it's like a about half an hour just kind of boiling down to the best of the stand-up comedians that you had on the show and so like yeah it's you know a great lineup of of talent and the best of their stuff. That's it's... a really interesting thing because in Britain we don't really have that uh, associated market. We get stand ups doing stand up tours mm. and that'd be fine. But in America it's a big thing to have like Letterman or we don't Leno. have the late night shows. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah. We've we? kind yeah. of emulated it a little bit now, but not in the same way. But things like I, I didn't appreciate that Letterman and um, had Bill Hicks on multiple times and that was like mm. kind of how he got the multiple platform for you know getting to cross to and you need it because America's so goddamn big mm. whereas we don't have that same market so we don't tend to see these sorts of things we know the stand-ups we know the sort of yeah. uh, you know American 90s and, and so on so of stand-ups so this is probably a good way to get a bit of a sampling of that yeah that's quite interesting yeah oh and uh, it's on Stitcher Premium you said it is on Stitcher Premium oh, and uh, you can get that a month for free by going to stitcher.com slash premium and using the checkout code sequelizers. Tim, I might just do that. Thank you. Well, hopefully you won't be alone. (laughs) (laughs) Jack's just like wincing at the, uh, I thought you meant the artifice there. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll come hold your hand while you sign up for Stitcher Premium. That's kind of what I thought you meant. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's good. Hope you won't be alone. I'll come tuck you in. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put your headphones on so you can listen to your favourite podcast while Yay! you're going to bed. And I'll tuck you in and give you a glass of water. Listen to Yay! your stories. <laughs> put on my stories. So, Tim. Yeah. We, we agree that Beverly Hills Cop 3 is a terrible film, right? It is. A 16 slash 10% bad film. Damn right. How, how on earth are you going to fix this pile of garbage? So... As we have uh, mentioned, one of the first things I was like, like John, John Landis got to go. 
Yeah. Agreed. He yeah. he gots to go. Um, and I wanted to kind of stick with the, even though obviously people aren't as keen on number two, I thought the, the move of having quite like an action-oriented director is quite smart because I think if you can get that competent, then like the majority of the comedy comes from Eddie Murphy. Like there's not a lot of visual comedy going on in these films. Um, so the most important thing is that you get the action done competently mm. and then everything, the, the, the comedy comes from dialogue, which, you know, you would hope that most directors are competent at. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the director that I went with was Rennie Harlan. I find this a very interesting choice because he's very on form for this kind of franchise. Yeah. This will be just before Cliffhanger um, and uh, before he does The Long Kiss Goodnight. But uh, after Die Hard. But after Die Hard 2. And more, most importantly, before Cutthroat Island. Yes. Because <laughs> that fucked his career, basically. Yes, basically. <laughs> um, although, let's face it, we should point that out because people are saying, wait, maths, before Cliffhanger... Well, yes. So I have moved back production to 1991. Um, so three years earlier than Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, obviously, like getting Eddie Murphy to do it is always a problem. We kind of can't get around that. There's no, you can't do a Beverly Hills Cop 3 movie without Eddie Murphy. Um, but if the script is good, the actor comes back. Yes, you would. And we'd like to think the script is good. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've also I've stuck with Beverly Hills Cop three. I know people like it when we come up with new titles, but it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It, it ain't broke, and and also it's kind of in the period where films just the sequel just had the number after it. Like yeah. you weren't doing subtitles or whatever. No, no quickenings or electric boogaloos yeah. or anything. Exactly. Sometimes it's it's fun for us to do. I mean, sometimes it is appropriate to change the title like Dark Knight, for example. Mm. But or Despicable Me, where it's like, no, you they're all one two. You yeah. just follow suit. Why would you change it? You end up like Rambo, first blood, new blood, last blood territory. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what the fuck is going first on? First last blood of the new moon. <laughs> what? Um so yeah, I went with Rennie Harlin, who I think can do good action. Um, and also having done a Die Hard, like Die Hard kind of <laughs> slightly breaks the Beverly Hills Cop thing because it does the action better and it's also funny. Like, yeah, they're not as funny as the first Beverly Hills Cop. But when you have like if you're relying less on the humor because, you know, the writing isn't as good, then the action has to step up and. Die Hard's better, but yes. yeah. So we're, we'll. I don't we'll think hope. you're going out on a limb saying Die Hard is better than the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Yes, you sounded like you were like, oh my, oh is that some people? Is that a controversial opinion? It's the internet. Someone's going to. Someone's going to. Someone's, someone's going to disagree. Moron is going to think that. Um, the other thing I did, I wanted to keep the same director of photography, uh, Jeffrey L. Kimball, as Beverly Hills Cop Two, just to have a bit more continuity of how the film like looks. That. That's a good. Um, yeah, continuity is going to be essential in general, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. You want you like. As I mentioned, like when we talked about these in the interseason, they feel so disjointed as a trilogy. And just trying to, even if I'm, even if it's just making two and three feel a bit more similar, I think that works. Yes. Um, and it stops that tonal whiplash of going from two to three. Um, so returning cast, we have uh, Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley, Judge Reinhold as Billy Rosewood. We are getting back. John Ashton as John Taggart and Ronnie Cox as uh, Andrew Bogomil. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also getting um, 
uh, Gilbert R. Hill as Inspector Todd and uh, Bronson Pinchot, Pinchot, Pinchot as Serge. And then for Newcast... Oh, here we go. So I've stuck with Timothy Carhart as Ellis DeWald. It's same actor and the same character name as in Beverly Hills Cop 3 because I thought he made a decent, slimy... I was going to say... Executive. The, the, the problem actor. is the character, not the actor. So yeah. I, uh, yeah. I can, I can it's basically that. a new character, but just with the same name and the same actor. Sure. Um, as the character of Bumper, we have Sinbad. Right. So <laughs> here's what happened. Tim talked about this and I said, Sinbad, Tim, really, really? And then paused and said, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jack said, who's Sinbad? Who the fuck is Sinbad? <laughs> That's in the 80s, 90s. And I just did a picture of uh, Jingle All The Way and said, that guy that isn't Arnie. And then, but then we were discussing about why and thought, no, that genuinely kind of makes sense. He, he mm. does actually fit the role of what he could be in this. So yeah, yeah I, I get it. And, and I, I kind of, I, I took a look at a lot of like African-American comedians and the problem with making, like as much as we need to pull this back to 1991 and have, not have that kind of big gap between yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, like Deaf Comedy Jam doesn't come along until 1992, 93. Yeah. And that is the launch pad for a lot of black comedians to not only like, do they get their start there? They they get exposure and would feasibly be in a film of this type. Because yes. as much as, you know, you might take like Bernie Mac and like he was working as a comedian before this, like there's no way he's feasibly getting a role in a film this big. This with, is the equalizes reality. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'd like to cast somebody big enough that we could think, I know they haven't worked it yet. But it's possible. And sometimes you can argue that, like, oh, a, a young Mark Ruffalo. It's like, no, mm. he could jettison really quickly because, let's face it, for the public, he did. That's mm. how these things happen. But sometimes you can't just twist it and say, and then they will accept him. It's like, yeah. no, that's... We want to we bring in an element of reality here. Yeah. Um, and Sinbad has already been in, like, sitcoms and done comedy specials at this point. Like, he's a reasonably well-known role. And I also think he suits, like, the character that I've written he's meant to be this kind of bumbling but good-natured yes uh and and like the fact that he he's about six inches taller than eddie murphy um which i think is like a fun element to their kind of dynamic in this film like sure. there's a big physical difference between the two of them mm -hmm. um so then otherwise i uh have uh in other roles uh lisa bonet as kimberly blanchard yep i like it um and then playing two kind of heavies in this role, uh, Woodward and Jefferson, we have uh, Alan Cogue, better known as Bad News Brown, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I feel here, this is Tim sniping me, because <laughs> I wrote a pitch for a sequel we'll come to later in the season, and I said, hey guys, hey guys, I cast a wrestler. And immediately Jaxie is perked up on, oh, oh, <laughs> uh, who? And it's a little guessing game. And here we are. <laughs> here we are with wrestlers. Oh, I see. I mean, it, to be fair, become the theme of single Late eighties, early nineties. It completely makes complete fucking yeah. sense, mm. and it's a great choice. But oh, I see. And I didn't even cast a pro wrestler as Bane. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> could have done. Plenty, plenty of huge, muscly dudes I could cast as Bane. But no, I showed restraint, unlike y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't know if the remaining films you've got left to to work on on your pictures, you can even shoot one wrestler in. 
Jack will find a way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Jack, we can't, we can't uh, say because more of the season later, but finds a way. <laughs> but no, I like this cast. Benet mm. is a great shout as well, and it's just and yeah, again, 1991 Lisa Benet. Yeah, can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Cool. So into the pitch. In Beverly Hills, Detective Billy Rosewood is meeting up with a bumbling but good-natured informant, Bumper, who tells him that something strange is going on at the Port of Los Angeles. As Rosewood attempts to get more information, someone takes a shot at the pair. Rosewood returns fire and forces the assailant to flee, but Bumper has already run away. We see him boarding a bus bound for Detroit. In Detroit, Axel Foley is undercover among a gang of high-end car thieves playing poker in the back room of a bar. When one of them grows violent with a waitress, Foley is forced to reveal himself and a fight ensues. Foley manages to detain most of the gang and chases the final member to their garage hideout before pursuing them in a car that slowly falls to pieces. Arriving back at the station, Foley is greeted by Rosewood and Sergeant Taggart, who have flown to Detroit looking for Bumper. I'm hoping because of the uh, inclusion of Harlan, that car falling to pieces is going to be good this time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than a piece of shit. Foley guides Rosewood and Taggart around Detroit and we get some fun fish-out-of-water stuff as the two Beverly Hills detectives get plunged into Foley's world, with Rosewood in particular clearly out of his depth. They finally catch up with Bumper, who is hiding out with his aunt. He quickly bonds with Axel and agrees to head back to LA as long as Foley accompanies them. He explains that he worked for a smuggler who operated out of the Port of Los Angeles, but someone has been forcing all the small-time players out of the area and many of them have been killed. Rosewood reveals that the gunman who tried to kill Bumper earlier dropped a ticket for an exclusive fashion show due to take place tomorrow. Oh. The group flies back to LA and Axel, Rosewood and Bumper head to the fashion show with Axel talking his way backstage. He bumps into Serge, who has moved from the art world into fashion. Oh, he's not a weapons dealer. He's sure? not a weapons dealer. Really? Hmm. Um, and strange. And is, is overjoyed to see Axel again. He introduces Foley to Kimberly Blanchard, who is a new fashion designer debuting her first collection at the show, and Ellis DeWald, a former shipping magnet who is financing LA Fashion Week. That's good. I like that, by the way. That fits. Meanwhile, Rosewood and Bumper are cornered by Woodward and Jefferson, a pair of menacing heavies who force them outside and are preparing to kill Bumper when Axel intervenes. Foley and Rosewood attempt to chase them down, but they get away. Across the city, Taggart is investigating the port. He attempts to get a vantage point into the area Bumper says has been taken over, but security proves too tight. He eventually finds a decent surveillance point and spies weary people in rags being shepherded from cargo containers towards a building deeper into the port. Taggart is unable to see much more and is forced to withdraw when his mid-stakeout snacks attract a horde of intimidating seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see that scene because yeah. Ashton would be good with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Foley, Rosewood, and Bumper head to attend a fantasy reception for the star designers from LA Fashion Week. But once they arrive, Foley tells Rosewood to babysit Bumper while he tries to uncover more information. Conning his way in, Axel mingles with the snooty fashion types before spying Kimberly. By the way, again, just to jump in, that's some good Eddie Murphy that's shit. That was some Foley shit. Yeah, right that'd there. be great. Yep, absolutely. Before spying Kimberly, leaving the hotel bar to head up to the floor that has been reserved for designers. He follows her and spots her photocopying files from several designers. But before he can confront her, he is caught by Woodward and Jefferson. And after a brief and pointless fight, he is knocked out. I'm ready for that dialogue of him trying to explain why he's there. Yeah. And the two wrestlers just being, like you <laughs> said, Tim, yeah. inches and inches taller than Eddie Murphy and just yeah. towering over him. Axel comes to in the hotel laundry and is interrogated by Woodward and Jefferson, who want to know what he has discovered. 
Axel wastes their time with chatter, so they decide to kill him, but they get sidetracked discussing how to kill him. <laughs> While they are debating various methods, Bumper wanders in, having given Rosewood the slip and hoping to find his way into the kitchens. He helps to free Axel, and between them, they manage to knock out Woodward and Jefferson. At the Beverly Hill station, Chief Bogomil informs Axel that the two captured goons have lawyered up and are refusing to talk. Foley's convinced Kimberly is somehow involved and heads out to track her down. Meanwhile, Rosewood and Taggart manage to sneak into the LA docks disguised as fishermen and access the closed-off area. They discover a large sweatshop has been set up using trafficked immigrants and are captured by the guards, who lock them in a hold of an abandoned ship. Foley finds Kimberly and she confesses that she owes money to Ellis, who is forcing her to steal the new season's designs from the big stars attending his fashion week. At the docks, Rosewood and Taggart manage to get a message out to the station, where he is picked up by Bumper. He races to inform Axel and catches up with him just as he's preparing to confront Ellis. Ellis was planning on cornering the market in knockoff designer clothes, using the stolen designs in the illegal sweatshop. He panics and takes Kimberly hostage, fleeing to the docks. Foley and Bumper give chase. Cue exciting car chase. So not shitty, boring car nope. chase. No shitty, sure? boring nope. car chases okay. in this. Good um, we, we choose to go with exciting rather than shitty and boring. That's yeah. a bold choice. Tense yeah. and good. But I, like I stand it. by A it. controversial decision <laughs> I've made there. <laughs> Upon reaching the docks, Foley follows after Ellis while Bumper helps to free Rosewood and Taggart. Together, they take out Ellis's guards and rescue Kimberly and the sweatshop workers, arresting Ellis as he attempts to burn the whole warehouse down to destroy evidence of his crimes. As Ellis is taken away to jail, Foley, Rosewood, Taggart and Bumper celebrate another case being solved. We all drink lemonade. The, the end. end. <laughs> I like it. I like you got up like a bebop and rock steady kind of uh, <laughs> thing. That's good. Um, okay, here's the thing. As a Beverly Hills Cop film, late 80s, well, mm. in the early 90s, it fits very well. I think it does its job nicely. Um, and also, it, I assume this would be the last Beverly Hills Cop. We wouldn't go into a fourth one. Oh, God, no. And even though, as we speak, they are planning a fourth Beverly Hills Cop oh, film. Oh my God, did they never learn? Because I think it's strange that there's almost... If you take the idea of the really sun-kissed look and the wisecracking black detective sort of thing, you end up with Bad Boys in 1995. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah. I feel like, a good place to stop here and have the baton passed over that was Lawrence. part of the reason why i wanted to move it forward is because because it feels so of its time it feels so the beverly hills cop as an idea it only kind of works in the late 80s and very early 90s yes yes um and just cinema moves on and it abandons it mm -hmm. um and i think yeah this is going to be the kind of the last gasp of it and that you know there, there's there's very little like there's none of the tension left between the characters that you have in the initial films sure. because because why would there be? They've all gotten on now. They've worked two cases together. Yeah. Like to give credit to the actual Beverly Hills Cop three, that doesn't have any of it in this either because they you know they're they're used to each other. Um, but by reducing that tension, you were also like you run out of steam with mm -hmm. a franchise, and I don't think it can sustain. It can't support it for very long. No, um, and. Unless it leaves a huge gap in time or reinvents itself. Like, mm. I mean, I mean, there are lots of examples where that has happened. You think you have enough time and you come back and think, yeah, I mean, if we did, like, for example, at Beverly Hills Cup 4, if we, mm. you know, we contemplated continuing our own sequelized to sequels, <laughs> you'd end up with, you'd have to leave a gap. Mm. And the, the difference would be, this would hopefully be a reasonably remembered franchise rather than... Um, 
something what we could get now with the potential Beverly Hills Cop 4, or more accurately, this could sink into a diehard. Mm-hmm. Where it just gets diminishing, uh, diminishing returns every single time. Yeah, it's more and more disappointing, and it's more and more flat. And the Lee just does not want to be there. Yeah, and the 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 kind of the changing dynamic um, that I touched on there is also the reason that why I wanted to pull in the Sinbad character. Yes, because I was like that that trio works well, but by the time you get to a third film, you need another flavor in there to keep the dynamic. To, to have something to spark off of mm. so to bring him in as someone who's like a criminal but in a very different uh, and kind of vaguely streetwise but in a very different way to all the other characters and yeah. have him be this kind of like it's a slightly broader character like he's kind of bumbling but kind of friendly um but i think you just you just need another kind of yeah like i say another flavor of comedy in there to just for the other characters to spark off. Mm. Sinbad, again, as I said, is actually a solid choice. It's, it kind of shouldn't be. Because ultimately what I end up with thinking is, I can think of tons of cast members I could put in certain other times. Mm. In the 70s, yeah, there are a few people you can jump in with. Early 80s, meh, okay, a few. Mm. No, late 90s, d- tons. Mm. You were literally, uh, okay, and especially early 2000s as well. Mm. But then in the early 90s, you had a shift. And again, you get towards like the Martin Lawrence, Will Smith... Uh, Martin Lawrence is the guy cut from that very similar clock. Exactly. The Even Jamie comedian Fox SNL turn and yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what becomes like Chris Rock are coming out of those things in the mm. late nineties, early two thousands. But Chris Rock is in. Is it three or two? I can't remember which one. Two. two He's I in believe. two. He's yes. just a valet, isn't he? Like, yeah. Holy shit! Which we were saying about like a... Damon Wayans as well being in the first mm. one as Banana. Yes. Man. Exactly. Not the yeah. British <laughs> hero, but in the early nineties, you do have quite a lot of. Uh, should we say different focus where mm. you have boys in the hood menace to society uh dead presidents and you get a few more prestige pieces about you know basically the streets mm. and uh areas like compton etc etc and and obviously the music scene starts changing as well yeah all these things shift but we're in a time where that doesn't work for the kind of film we're trying to make yeah that was a actually a thing i've forgot to touch on beforehand one of the fundamental things that why you need to pull beverly hills cop back to 1991 is because it become then it comes before the rodney king riots yes and the fact that you have had that happen and then you have beverly hills cop three come along two years later and just be like yeah like there's no need to touch on racism in california because it doesn't happen Cops are fine, right? Yeah. Right? If this script had found its way to me rather than Tim, I'd have said, we're setting it in 1995. Really? Yeah. Guess who's the bad guy? Reinhold. Yeah. Like, oh, why is that? <laughs> it's like, why is that? He organized the riots. Like, oh my God, what? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I would have, I would have drilled down and ru- I would have ruined it. Mm. So I'm glad you had it, Tim. Um, what do you mean this is supposed to be funny? It's political commentary. Eddie Murphy says something funny. What's the problem? It's a good fix in my eyes. I, th- mm. I like it personally. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad... As we said, glad you bring Taggart back. Rosewood feels like Billy still. Like it needs Billy that Rosewood dynamic. is still Billy Rosewood. Yeah. Um, especially like you kind of turn on the heads and have them come to Detroit for a bit, and they're the fish yeah. out of water thing. That's a nice little twist. That's a hard part thing to do. That that like that seems like such a obvious choice. Obvious it choice. Does. It really does. Like yeah. I can't believe they never do it in all three films. Of like, well, the, the, the idea of London, I suppose, is to make everyone out of. It's like, well, yeah. Axel already is the fish out of water. You can't have everyone being that. That doesn't really work as well whereas yeah. the reversal is is a nice little hanger for us you could literally i mean not to kind of write it badly but like you redo some of the jokes from the first and the second one but twist them around and have them like 
what do you mean you aren't carrying a gun? You're in Detroit, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> yeah. like that kind of thing and have it really twist around. And as, I think, if anything, especially Taggart would, would kind of the old guard white guy cop would, yes. would really yes. struggle in an urban early 90s Detroit. Like, yeah. imagine they go to like some really rough neighborhoods and it's shit he's never seen before, but he's been on the force for 25 years yeah. and all this kind of mm. stuff. I think that would re- work really well. Mm. Um, funny enough, you mentioned like casting Sinbad and stuff like that. As, as soon as he's like the, the car thief kind of character, I imagine the Pontiac Bandit from Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, I've got to admit, if it was the 2010s, obviously Craig Robinson would be yeah, doing yeah, this. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, going for that is that tone, the inspiration for the character he kind of is okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I instantly got that thought I was like fuck me this sounds just like the Pontiac like the bumbling informant and yeah. all that kind of stuff the, like the I was trying to think like okay like we want something that's like funny but like the police stuff is actually well done and like Brooklyn Nine-Nine frequently does that so like when it came to like inspiration mm-hmm. I was just like okay like let's think of kind of what they would do like how you know and they they're a tv series that does actually often deal with like police corruption and stuff like that yeah but um and it has multiple like african-american characters and like obviously captain holt being gay as well and having yeah. to deal with those things yep. within the police force of mm. him being a gay black man and and terry being a black man and mm-hmm. you've got uh rosa is obviously um latina as well you, mm. and, and yes amy is as well and you've got that diversity in it and weirdly enough as soon as i read your pitch i was like god this is really kind of like a brooklyn 99 like way ahead of its time like mm. this is you know yeah 20 years before yeah. <laughs> brooklyn 99 kind of thing and i'm glad I, I thought i was really stretching for it then and you're gonna be like oh yeah i can kind of see what you mean you were straight away like oh yeah that totally makes sense like, <laughs> yeah phew i'm not going crazy <laughs> i must admit well because we think about again classically we always see the pictures and see the bits and pieces and think right let's just think of alternatives and as we did with the um with the bane pictures in the first episode sometimes you think no this this works nicely i mean we can always throw around the names to just you know to quell anything thoughts you may have yourself audience members where you're listening and thinking why don't these guys just pick this person? Sometimes we do go, oh shit, yeah, good point. That would have been yeah. great. But other times you're like, no, this is why we didn't. Mm. Case in point, I thought to myself, um, for the personality, for the lovable, but also mm. so side, I would have, uh, Anthony Anderson would have been quite interesting. But at the same time, uh, for the audience members, Anthony Anderson is a guy who was in um, yeah. Transformers and stuff. He was the most important oh, yeah, yeah, myself yeah. and I and yeah. things. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, me, myself and Irene. But the thing, and I thought to myself, actually, how old is he? And then realized he was 21 at the time. So I was like, oh, it could work. Mm. But then realized he didn't really start acting until 1999. So definitely not. But yeah. there are always different things in there you think. There, nah, there were so work. many actors that I cycled through for that role where I was like, oh, what was that person up to at this point? Oh, uh, they got their big break on Deaf Comedy Jam in 1992. Exactly. And before that, they were just a, you know, a struggling comedian or, you know, oh, they didn't really start acting until like much later. Yeah. Um, and I you think... could have this be a breakout role. You could make it work, mm. arguably. But when you have somebody who is, for lack of a better word, series appropriate, yeah. who would do a job that would be perfectly, if anything, yeah. could maybe elevate the career of the person saying, mm. you know what's really like? I like that guy in this film. Yeah. I mean, like, let's face it, if we were to pitch, and always think about what's established, what's real, what already takes place. If you say like, Oh, um, who are the you know the main characters in this movie? Who who are the people who you remember as it were? It's like oh, Judge Reinhold. And you're like, 
Who? You know the guy <laughs> from... And you see his face and go, oh, that guy. Yeah. The guy from Whose Line Is It Anyway? No, not him. Oh, <laughs> you mean the guy from... No, that, that's someone else entirely. Um, the other white the guy. The other white guy. Oh, him. Yeah. You know, he wanks over Phoebe Cates in Fast Times <laughs> at Richmond High. That guy. <laughs> I mean, no one expected Sean Penn to be what he is. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of Fast Times <laughs> at Richmond High. Um, so, yes, it's, it's sometimes there are just smaller castings that like somebody think, mm. that actually does fit. Weirdly really enough, well. one of the other ones, because I very much span off into a Brooklyn Nine-Nine theory, yeah. was Terry Crews. And I yeah. looked like, well, he's old enough. Like like you said, he's mm. in his early 20s then. Sure. Didn't start acting until like the year 2000. No. Nope. Like, mm. fuck. Okay. And I think like partially this is just <laughs> speaks to the racism that is pervasive in Hollywood still. And but But you go back to that like early 90s and it's like, wow, there really weren't a lot of, like, black comic actors out there. Like, nope. there, there was such a... There was, you know, your kind of boys in the hood, do the right yeah. thing, like, you know, serious comic act, uh, serious actors. The, and, ma- the only major one I can really think of is Richard Pryor. Yeah. Like, he's the yeah. other guy that springs and then, and then he's... Eddie he, Murphy, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much a lot. And they, they basically for kick the, the door 80s open. 80s and 90s, well, yeah. yeah. They don't... They, they nudge the door open because, you know how casting works mm. but eventually it gives rise to bigger things so anything someone's things like oh, what about like um what about like chris tucker and you're mm-hmm. like again 1993 95 yeah. friday 95 these things only started to become a thing after let's face it bridget Breyer became i mean once you stop having white people playing black people yeah <laughs> um you end up that's things. the first barrier you gotta get yeah. through first is then let's, s- let's start off by getting rid of the blackface. Yeah. And then we'll start. Then Sidney yeah. Poitier comes out and says, we're all really talented. What the mm. fuck? Yeah. Um, and then you have more doors being opened. Then Richard Pryor being fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely doing complete disservice to so many African-American actors here, black actors in general. But for the sake well, I think of the, brevity. The industry was. That's not mm-hmm. you being. I know, I know. Yeah. But even though I'm not listing like pioneers and something like that. But. Again, Spike Lee coming up out of nowhere and things like that. These yeah, things happen very slowly, but you can't just then say, and then we gave it to this person. Mm. So yeah, but I think it's a, I think it's a good fix. I like it personally. Me too. Mm. One little query I had was it feels a bit convenient that Bumper gets on a bus to Detroit. I get that you kind of have to tie them into the mm. Detroit LA connection in general, mm. but it does just feel a bit like like, well, Axel's in Detroit, so let's get him to Detroit and that that's what brings them there maybe to some Detroit. motivation would be nice to, yeah to, yeah to, if, if there's like a, a reason for him to head there or even like a literally a throwaway line of like oh god I gotta head home yeah I mean I, the, the, the idea go is go and that, see my mum she yeah. lives in Detroit like, he makes a joke about that kind of thing yeah I mean the idea is that he, yeah he's he's that's where he's from he's hiding out with family when they find him again and it it gives a connection point for him and axel to kind of immediately bond over so Mm. that they have that they're two black guys from detroit yeah yeah um yeah i mean it is you know you've got that i think one of the hardest things when coming up with these franchises is like you've got to find a reason to get axel to uh, to beverly hills again you know and but you and you can't have him which again is the, is the Bruce Willis thing. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the John McClane. Why do we have John McClane not being a cop in New York? And the first time you see him being a cop in New York is the third one. Yeah. yeah. Which wasn't written as a diehard film. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching, the first, like I said, I watched one, then two, then three with mm. almost no breaks, which is a terrible idea, listeners. Mm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and uh, I really struggled with like, oh, right. At the end of one, like he's pissed off the Detroit police 
department. So they're going to move him to Beverly Hills, and the second one is him working in the Beverly Hills Police Department. Mm, mm, Obviously. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> He's in Detroit still. I'm like, okay, why mm. would he not ask for a transfer or whatever? Because he had such a great, I don't know, like, yeah. that, that made, there was such an obvious choice. I, I literally was like, oh, that's why it's called Beverly Hills Cop 2, mm-hmm. because he's he moves to Beverly Hills and he really has to like settle into the lifestyle and he's a proper fish out of water and all this kind of stuff. Not saying that would be a good idea or if that would work, but I, sure, I, sure. I definitely mm. assume that's where the franchise was going. And they're like, nope, he's back in Detroit again. He's got the same boss as he had before and he's still shouting at him, it's going to be my ass, Foley, and all this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. Same thing again. It's like, okay, what's the third one? Same again. Yeah. I did almost put in a, a line at the end where it was going to be like, yeah, Axel says, like, you know what, I'm just going to move here. <laughs> yeah. um, That's literally the line I, I assumed was going to be the last line of either the first or the second one. Yeah. yeah. Either way, I was like, well, obviously he's e- going to say, like, in a silly way, like, you, you know, guys can take I it could yourself. get used to this, yeah. son. Yeah. 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 I might just think about moving here. You'd never survive in Beverly Hills, Foley. Because you also get, I, is it two, where you get the freeze frame ending where he just turns to camera and smiles, which Ooh. is the most 80s thing in the world. <laughs> Again. I, I, one or two it doesn't it does fucking feel matter. like it because that's after the whole like you guys are being more like me except for you know white and, and tiny dicks and he's and yeah yeah if only you had bigger dicks then he turns to camera smiles like yeah and yeah. he sat in his, his convertible car and like, like yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah it's cheesy as fuck and I very much assumed the last line would be like well who's the new detective and Axel walks in smiles freeze frame that's <laughs> that's you you know it's the ending 80s. to two. That's kind it's of how it's the 80s. That's yeah. how you end yeah. a sequel in the 80s. Exactly. Slap a big. I mean, it wouldn't be a, a different franchise. Would slap a, a saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, it'd be do 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 do. Yeah, you would have so. Oh, that's oh we've got tra- we got a transferring new detective, and it would just be footsteps in the corridor. And do 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 do, and he gets it. Also. Binge watching the three of those films, <laughs> I never want to hear that fucking music again. Because I I knew it as the Axel F theme, the Axel mm. Foley theme, mostly from the fucking ringtone craze in the early two thousands <laughs> and yes. the fucking Crazy Frog. Yeah. Don't Google that, listeners, if you don't know what the Crazy Frog I don't is. Think Americans don't got Crazy put, Frog, did they? I don't know. Lucky I ha- bastards. Uh, lucky bastards if they didn't, because that's one it's of them. It's very European. One of the worst earworms in the history of the world. I don't think it is anyway. It's just a, it's just torturous sound. It's torturous noise and cut to the Axel F theme. Sitting on a bus and five fucking fuckers would have that fucking thing go yeah, off. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. And my God, do they milk that theme throughout both of the first two films and the third one they just like add an orchestral sweep to it for it, no fucking the reason 90s, it, it doesn't doesn't the, fit the, it needs to be more dramatic and stuff yeah. It's like, yeah sure yeah the music in the third one is quite bad and it's fucking niles nile rogers of chic fame is it really yeah, yeah. The, he's the music great. for this I know. He, and he's great everything else not good at scoring movies it turns out because they yeah they throw the axel f theme in like as soon as they possibly can it does like and and kind of arbitrarily like yes. it, it, it just pops up occasionally and you're like really this is the scene you're gonna score with your like most iconic bit of music and then other than that that it's just quite a lackluster. Well, I think, mm. like I said, the first two, I think they just wank that theme to death. <laughs> <laughs> just like something's happening. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, Axel's climbing into a car. Bum, 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 bum. Two scenes later. Yeah. What do you think, Taggart? I don't know, Axel. 
It's up to you. Fucking hell. We get it. Every scene transition is just that fucking song. And the first film actually has a pretty good 80s soundtrack. Yes. I think... I can't remember which one it is, but they've had some award-winning soundtracks and like St. Elmo's Fire, Kenny Loggins-style fucking Mm -hmm. 80s power ballad bullshit. But it worked so well for that first Entirely. Just to to throw this out here, um, it didn't win any Oscars. It was nominated for um, Best Writing in the first one, which is like... Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah, the first one, did, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the second one was nominated for Best Original Song. That was the one yeah. I was thinking and of. That's, yeah. yeah, but the, the, speaking just very briefly to the whole ringtone thing, because the two major ones at the time in Britain especially was the Halloween thing, the Michael Myers thing, and the Axel Foley. <laughs> and there's been so many iterations of that in later versions, like the most recent Halloween... Halloween. Mm. Um, <laughs> Which Halloween, Matt? Hang on. No. The third Halloween to be called Halloween? Correct. <laughs> Fucking hell. But the point is that um, you can do new things with them. You can make them interesting. And there's enough mm. there as a simple harmony or a melody that you can do something with and think, this could work quite well. But they don't. They never do. It's always the same thing. And it's just like, quickly, play it again. Bam, 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 bam. It's like, what the fuck is that? That's our theme. Okay. Are you going to like work it into a larger score? Maybe do different octaves to show different things? No, no. Bam, 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 bam. We just play this button. And it plays like a, like a soundbite on radio. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, I think that's a problem a lot of films have, and they take inspiration. I think one of the key inspirations for a lot of, especially the superhero stuff, where like each character kind of has their own theme sure. and all this kind of stuff, is fucking Star Wars. Because yeah, John Williams, yeah. you've got Leia's theme, you've got the love theme, you've got the Force theme, you've got Darth Vader's Imperial March, you've got the you know, various different things for different characters. And the way you can use those songs to build tension or build ex- expectation from the audience. Like I said, if you have the the feet walking and the slowed down version of the Axel F theme, mm. the audience goes, ah, oh, Axel's getting transferred to Beverly Hills. Like that's a thing. Yeah. And then you M- get music like a... can and should arguably compliment and signpost films sometimes. I've always maintained that some films that are terrible that um, I genuinely end up rather enjoying is because the score works yeah. as a random point. And like example. you said, having individual character things that then tie into the larger score yes. Yes. is where it works so well. I was going to say, it's a simple, quick example. Um, the Teenage Mutant Turtles Bay produced films are not great, but I gave the first one a reasonable review mm-hmm. because Tyler, I think it's Tyler Bates, his score, actually quite good. I, I like the theme they came up with it. Um, but again, you have to, and that's why I say usually we jump in sometimes say, change the musician, change the composer. But this one doesn't seem necessary because he's good. But maybe we can work better with this film. Who knows? Yeah. I just had like a, almost like a deja vu slash horrible omen vision. Repressed memory. Yeah. When, uh, okay. when Jack said do a slow down version of the Axel F theme, I'm now picturing like the trailer for the fourth one. Have it like, falling into oh, that, that current theme that of is, like the slowed down tragic version that is have, 100% what they're going to do having like a children's choir all just going to the point that you don't know what the fuck it is yeah <laughs> and you're like and that's the point yes. wait I vaguely recognise the- this and then it goes like, hum, hum. And then it goes, hits the screen. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. The, the most recent example of that, Maverick. Maverick, oh, yeah. The Maverick, Maverick Top Gun trailer, which again, maybe that'd be all right. I don't know, but the, bam, 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 bam. It's like, 
this sounds stupid. <laughs> Jack and I watched Cats. And, <laughs> and that's just a reminder. We did. Again. And the first thing is like, down, down. It's like, what are you doing? This is 2019. Yeah. I know. Oh, this is the original Andrew Lloyd Webber thing. Yeah. From the 80s. I get it, but no. <laughs> meow, meow, meow. Oh, you've got musical synth. Even, even That's what that is. The fucking, Lloyd Webber sound. Even Blade Runner 2049 had synth-esque elements with Zimmer and Johansson, well, well before Johansson died, homaging the Vangelis sort of sound and bringing it into the fucking modern period. <laughs> you can't just go, we'll just play it exactly the same. Meow, meow, meow. But yeah, Tim, to your point, I would bet money, actual physical money that I have earned... <laughs> Through my day job, from where I had sweat and tears. That you need to pay rent. <laughs> that I need to pay rent and feed me and my partner and my cat. Yep. That they will do a slowed down version <laughs> of the Axe Left theme. Dramatic piano. Yeah. Possibly children. I think Children's Choir might be pushing it a little bit, but absolutely there's going to piano yep. instead of a synth. And I will want to blow my fucking reins out. Because I've been sick of that trope for about 10 years now. It's been going on for far too long. Entirely too long. Yeah. So much so that... Um, ha- do you guys know the uh, singer Gabrielle Applin? I know the name. Yeah, she did a parody where she took metal songs <laughs> and basically turned them into slowed down things so they could be used for like Marks and Spencer's adverts <laughs> and stuff. And it's like, wake up and grab a brush and put on a little makeup. <laughs> I was going to be the weather day. Like uh, doing like Sister of uh, Down and Slipknot and stuff. It's like... This is not going to work. Oh, wait. That sounds like a John Lewis advert. Shit. They all sound exactly the same and they just slow down a popular song. Yeah. Oh, it's dramatic now. Do you know, do you know what's to fucking blame? Donnie Darko, Mad World. Yeah, Mad World, that's usually the one. That's the, I, I was thinking about what the start fuck of it was. Fuck you, Gary Jules. Yeah, but I still... Hashtag fuck you, Gary Jules. <laughs> I still like that cover, but then also... Also, <sighs> hashtag fuck you... Jamie Kennedy, hashtag fuck you, Gary Jules. Always fuck you, Jamie <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> We're adding Gary Jules to the fuck you pile. Sure, I have no problem with that. <laughs> Any, anyway, we've got vastly off topic uh, and we've basically done all the things that we need to do apart from... Hey, Jack, where can people find you on the internet? Oh! Segway. J-L-W Chambers on the tweets, on the instance. No, no, do that again. But to the theme of the Axel Foley. J. J. L. W. Chambers. Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter and Insta. You Fan- can follow me if you please. Fantastically <laughs> awful. <laughs> Never realised my Twitter handle fit into the... Oh, well, I'm, I know I'm writing when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> Lyrics to the Axel F theme, because that's what it needs. I'll slow it down. Put a piano on it. Oh. <laughs> it and just <laughs> put a donk on it. That's what it needs. And, <laughs> donk on it. and literally just read out my Twitter <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a thing the world doesn't need. But yeah, uh, I can't not sing it now in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Have we started something now for the rest of the season oh, but you can't gosh. like go? Oh. Yeah, JLW Chambers is the place to go if you want to follow me for Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. I tweet about comics, wrestling, video games, bad films in general. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me on the social medias. Tim, how about you? I am trivia underscore lad on Twitter. Uh, That's the best place to follow me for all of my thinkings and sayings. Um, Yeah, that's that's basically (laughs) it. I ain't got I ain't got Can't nothing that I ain't got nothing to pimp at the moment. True. 
V lad. No, it's not yeah. as well. No, True. we'll find V we'll fi- underscore lad. <laughs> we'll find we'll find a, a, a another theme, another theme that it works with. Mm. Um, trivia, trivia underscore lad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Tim is trivia underscore lad. <laughs> The magical like, Mr. <laughs> the magical Mr. S T O G H Z. Yeah, Matthew, how about you? Yes, dogs everywhere, all times. You can all find me. You do sometimes. You talk to me, and I tell you things back to you. Then we have disagreements, and we have fallings out, and I block you. That actually hasn't happened. I don't need to block any of these. Our, our followers are generally They're pretty, awesome. pretty you guys awesome. Are cool. Um, yeah, I've had some very, very good interactions. We have great conversations. I actually genuinely like that. But so uh, we can all unite on cats, and then I will argue with people about Dark Knight Rises until the day I die. That's fair, and that's I fucking that's hate that. What film. the internet's kind of for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, to, to quote arguing about Batman. Yeah, to, to quote uh, a, a Batman himself, Ben Affleck, in uh, Jane, Silent Bob. The internet was created to uh, allow people from all the world to come together and bitch about movies and share pornography. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but you can also go to theredrighthand.co.uk to see my uh, film reviews or cheeseman.com to see the films which I make. That's all of us individually. But if you want to enjoy us as a unit... I'd like to enjoy your unit, Tim. <laughs> hey, hey! Um, penis. Penis. Um, we are at Sequelizers on uh, Instagram, Twitter... We are facebook.com slash sequelizers. Uh, and most importantly, mm-hmm. we are patreon.com slash sequelizers, where you can support us if you are able to with uh, some money every month. Uh, we are now monthly in terms of our donation. We used to be per episode, but yes. uh, that's our new model. And we have some excellent rewards, uh, starting with ad-free episodes, early access, uh, and uh, extra bonus content, lots of that going up at the moment. Movie commentaries for Mo- we've already done on Dark Knight Rises commentary. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing a couple more commentaries for this season as well. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful, wonderful outtakes is us just being stupid or twiddling knobs. They and, are and they are monstrously good, yeah. and they get longer each time. <laughs> you, you get to uh, listen to me and Tim do an '80s trivia quiz hosted by Matt. That is true. So that, that's fun, and I'm going to be bringing some more trivia in as well. So we're going to have some uh, have some fun on the outtakes, just as we as we warm up and uh, sort our levels out and stuff. You yeah, can, it's, it's not can... an afterthought. There's a lot of really good content on there, and and, and as I've said many times before, I love doing the show. Sometimes the outtakes are stupidly funny, and whenever I cut things out for the outtakes, I'm like. <sighs> I'm not, I, I'm not cutting out for, for purpose, but it's like, this doesn't fit the flow of the show. You need to delete the scene. But also, I feel we're robbing people because it's so good. If you're a new Patreon and haven't heard some of the previous outtakes, the one I will recommend more than anything else, and I think it's the, la- the hardest I've ever laughed in as long, yeah. as long as I can remember, is the Lion King 2 outtakes. Sure. Matt's... All I'm going to say, Matt... Sings a new Lion King theme as Randy Newman, and it is the absolute best. And we were literally crying with laughter, and it was just the best. And you get access to all that stuff as soon as you subscribe to the new outtakes um, tier. So you yeah. will gain all the previous, all the, the previous the stuff, archive. Stuff well. You gain the archive of outtakes and bonus content and all that good stuff as well. Yeah. So. And part of our big 2020 push of more, bigger, better. Harder, faster, closer, sooner, deeper. Is to effectively have bigger things on the rewards. So we also have stuff like um, 
t-shirts and merchandise. And obviously we're having those things out there now, but you get money off those merchandise tiers. Mm -hmm. If you're a little higher, there are six month t-shirts we send out to you and digital and visual, uh, sorry, hard copy posters that we send out for that John Scarrett designs for us for some of the pictures that we do. The amazing John Scarrett. The amazing John Scarrett. No one would ever debate that. He's awesome is what he does. And the highest ridiculous tier, other than um, picking out episodes for the future seasons and things, is also to have your own face made in our little avatar style. So it's mm. all something to be part of the show. That's all very cool. But also another thing that we keep forgetting to mention, this episode was chosen by us. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, having said that, if you're on a higher tier on Patreon, you could pick an episode or an interseason content. And if not on some of the lower tiers of the Patreon thing, you get to vote. So for example, on the second episode with Despicable Me 3, the patrons got to vote on what we picked. So um, if you want to feel involved, that's the best way to do it. You can always just shout things at us on Twitter. Like, hey, you need to do Beastmaster 2 or Mortal <laughs> Kombat. We get it. And they're on the list. There's things we have put on lists. But if you want us to do it sooner, there's a way to do it. And it, it turns out there's a lot of bad sequels out there. There are tons, Tim. Yeah. Who would have thought? Oh, wait. Us. us. And, they, and they keep making them. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks Hollywood. For the, the current trend in Hollywood of remakes and sequels and all that shit that we just keep churning the same bollocks out over I, and over again. I've got to the point now where I go to see a, like a franchise coming to a close or a big film and I'm like, I really hope this is good. And then as Star Wars started to be eh, Rise of Skywalker, I thought, oh, brilliant. You thought, <laughs> good. I, I, really hope this, I really hope this is good or terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I get to fix this now. Literally my response to every sequel at the moment and... Because Matt sees every film that ever comes out in the history of films. True. I will basically just wait for his tweet or his message to us. Usually it's it's in our group chat. And we'll yeah, just that's like, true. Gentlemen, good news. It's shit. And we're like, <laughs> yay! Yep. We get to fix it. Or, Gentlemen, good news. It doesn't need fixing. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> basically, everything's win-win for us all we the time. We win-win. Yep. Unless it's cats. No, nobody wins with cats. Because Tim escaped cats. <laughs> and now I'm jealous of Tim. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it at some point yeah. through morbid curiosity. Future movie commentary. <laughs> oh! Matt and I have to rewatch Cats. What is wrong with to, you? To, what, put Tim to look out the for torture. the differences with the with the, yes, with the new CGI. Watch for the new <laughs> patch. Uh, yeah, day one patch. That's that's going to have to be a, a Patreon stretch goal, I think. If we're, if we're <laughs> submitting you to Cats <laughs> for the second time. Non, Non-sequel films. Just, just the worst films ever. Like... Like Zardos and The Room and shit like that. Yeah. I'll watch The Room any day. Yeah, it's fine. I will never watch Cats ever again <laughs> unless you literally pay me to do it. Yeah. So we'll see you next week. Yeah. Ah, Jack, you wanted to say it. I snuck in there. You sneaky little bastard. Yeah. Matt, huh? I'll see you next week. Oh, Tim. I'll see you both next week. Whoa. Hey! And in hell. Dun